Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. How's everybody? All right. I think uh, it's 5.59. I'm just waiting for it to turn to 6. Are y'all ready to go? I'm going to take a minute from you. Um, glad you are here. I'm glad that you remembered to come down here. Of course, we had you locked out. You couldn't get in and there, down there anyway. Um, and appreciate. But next, next Wednesday night, we'll be back in the main sanctuary down there. But this sort of reminds us of old times, unless you come to the venue every Sunday. I thought I might, uh, since we had the Fields of Faith last week, and there were a lot of you that went, and there were over 600 young people that accepted Christ, I thought I might give the Cliff's Notes version for about five or six minutes of last week, and that way um, it bring a little continuity to it today. I want to remind you that um, in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, all the way down to verse 14 is one sentence. Now, I know the punctuation in the English Bible is a little different, but in the Greek manuscripts, it's one sentence, the longest sentence in the New Testament, in the Bible, actually. And so we're going to look at the last part of that, but I'd like to, to sort of read it all together. So I'll begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed, <coughs> excuse me, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I dare you to try to say that one sentence in one breath. <laughs> Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, as we look over the prayer list that's been printed tonight, we want to be mindful of those who are in the hospital. We're mindful of those who have 
laid loved ones to rest this week. And we also are mindful of those who are preparing to do that very thing. And so we ask that you comfort them. We ask for your healing hand on the, these that are in the hospital. Some, some that are going difficult times. And we pray that you would touch their lives. And now we ask that you speak to us as your children to encourage us, to help us to understand just who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If any of you would like the notes, I'll give you my notes. You'll need to email Allison and she can attach this last Wednesday night's notes and I'll give them to you if you missed last Wednesday night. Um, they're, they're $25 a page. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Last week we talked about the, from going from the rags of sin to the riches of redemption. And we began in verse 6 where we talked about what redemption was. And really, there are six words. If you remember, I, I mentioned to last week, there are six words that really encompass redemption. Six terms taken from the field of law that are in the New Testament. One of them talked about the being acquitted of a charge. And it, used a, it was used of a sinner being vindicated. Another one meant to be send, sent away. It, it talked about the cancellation of a debt. We're going to talk about that Sunday when we talk about uh, and forgive us our debts. We're going to talk about that in the Lord's Prayer Sunday. Another word referred to the legal process of adopting a child and was used by Paul to represent us being adopted into the family. Uh, still another word meant to be reconciled, two parties that were reconciled. One was at odds with the other, and they were reconciled together. So those four all encompassed legal terms, and then there were two more translated redemption. One of them meant to buy or purchase, used in the marketplace of actually purchasing and buying. In fact, the word is agorazo. We use the word agora in the, new, in the Greek if you went to the ancient ruins and they talk about the agora, it was the marketplace. And, and here it talked about the, in the New Testament, the, the purchase that Jesus made for you and me. And then the, the final word speaks of delivering or setting free a slave that was purchased and set free. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So slave trading was a, a major business and if you had a loved one that was a slave and you could purchase them, you would purchase them and set them free. And all of those words are under the umbrella of redemption. Two of them are translated redemption, but all of them have to do with legal terms. And I want you to remember that because Sunday morning when we talk about forgive us our debts we're going to talk about the two aspects of forgiveness one is complete forgiveness all the penalties of sin are taken away but then the other one is a more of a relational day by day and we'll talk about that Sunday so I've just given you given you a, a preview of coming attractions this Sunday the elements of redemption are here in this passage you've got to have a couple of things there has to be a redeemer 
And that's Jesus. He's the only redeemer. He's the kinsman redeemer. We talked about that Old Testament kinsman redeemer. There had to be three qualifications. They had to be kin to you. They had to be willing to make the price and they be able to make the price and they had to be willing to do it. How was Jesus kin to us? He became one of us. And he was able to pay the price because he was sinless and he was willing to. He laid down his life for us. So he's our kinsman redeemer. And then the word redeemed, that's us. We're the saints. We're the ones that have been purchased. We've been forgiven and we've been uh, cleansed of our sin. The price of redemption is mentioned in verse 7. Through his blood, the shed blood of Jesus. We talked about the virgin birth and why that's so important because without the virgin birth, you have Jesus being born with a sinful nature. Well, he didn't get his bloodline from an earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His bloodline came from the heavenly father. He was born with a sinless nature, was tempted, but did not sin. And so he was able to pay the price and his blood was shed for our sin. And then we'd mention the, the effects of forgiveness. Forgiveness, uh, the effects of redemption. One is forgiveness. We are completely forgiven of our sin. And then in verse 9, it talks about wisdom insight. He gives us the, the knowledge of what life is all about. We talked about how people that do horrendous things today, they, they are in darkness. They don't have any idea what life is about. We do. We've been given the light. And, and we, it's hard for us to fathom how someone can abuse a child or, or kill innocent people we, or do these horrendous things because the Holy Spirit in us has changed our life and changed our nature. It's hard for us to fathom that because it's so contrary to what God would want us to do and who God is. So we've been given the light. We're the ones that know what life is about. We know where this world's going. We know what's going to happen at the end. We've seen the book of Revelation. He's given us direction. And then finally in verses 9 and 10, he talks about the hope that's coming in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's talk about the third part of this sentence. We'll get to tonight. How's that for a Cliff's Notes version? You have an inheritance. Now, you're probably not going to see it here but you've got one. Let's talk about the believer's inheritance. I, I, I enjoyed reading about a couple. They were part of what was called a couple's club at the First United Church in Hamilton, Canada. And they were sponsoring an annual auction sale and everybody gathered up their stuff at home that they didn't want anymore. And they were going to bring it down to the church and they brought in a professional auctioneer we're going to sell this stuff for some good cause that they were raising money for. Well, one couple, Joe and Mildred, had some old lawn furniture lying out there on the veranda, and Mildred thought the auction sale would be a marvelous opportunity to get rid of it. So she sent it off to be sold. On the day of the auction, Mildred was sick, couldn't go to the auction. Joe went. And you guessed it. <laughs> Joe saw this lawn furniture. He bought it. He thought it was a terrific bargain. So Mildred had to wait another year to get rid of that lawn furniture. You see, 
Many folks don't know what they already have in Jesus Christ. And in this passage, Paul shows the awesome and wonderful potential that, w- that we are as believers and, and what we have. And at the completion of this, he's already said we were chosen, and we talked about that we're chosen in Jesus. We, we, I believe that we could, I, I, we're not, you, you have the choice when you choose the Lord. I believe that. I believe that you can, I believe God calls us, but also somehow he reconciles that with our choice. And then it talked about redemption and forgiveness and wisdom and understanding. And now we're looking at our inheritance. Let's go to talk about that. How do you get an inheritance? How do you get an inheritance on this earth? Well, I read of one lady. There was a man worth $20 million who died and left everything to his only descendant, a nephew. However, they did not know where this young nephew lived. The lawyer traced him all the way to Colorado, but then the trail ended, so he contacted a detective agency for help. The head of the agency said, you know what? I'm going to put my best detective on the case. She is young. She is sharp. She's aggressive. She'll find your man. Three weeks later, she contacted the lawyer, and she said, I have found your man. And the lawyer said, great. Where can I find him? When will he be back? She said, right after our honeymoon. (laughs) That's one way to get an inheritance. (laughs) Columnist L.M. Boyd described the fortune, true story of a man named Jack, and I'm going to say his name is Verm, W-U-R-M, 1949, Mr. Verm was broke and out of a job. He was walking along the beach outside of San Francisco when he came across a bottle with a piece of paper in it, washed up on the shore. As he read the note, he discovered that it was the last will and testament of Daisy Singer Alexander. She was the heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune. And to the note read, Quote, to avoid confusion, I leave my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle and to my attorney, Barry Cohen, share and share alike. And according to Boyd, the courts accepted the theory that the heiress had written the note 12 years earlier and had thrown the bottle into the Thames River in London from where it had drifted across the oceans to the feet of Jack Verm, who was penniless, jobless, and his chance discovery netted him in 1949 over $6 million plus singer stock. Now, how would you like to be walking along the beach, pick up $6 million? But folks, I want to tell you something. The inheritance that you and I have is worth more than anything this world has to offer. Because all this stuff that the world has to offer, even if you inherit it, it's, it's all going to pass away. So in this passage, we look at verse 11. I want you to know, first of all, the path to our inheritance. It's in a person. It says, in him, in verse 11. Who? In Jesus. 
it clearly refers to Jesus. You can go back up in verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 7 and in verse 10, and it all refers to Jesus Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance. It translates a, a compound word when something in the future was so certain, and it's, it's really strange the way it's written because it's, it's written, it says, we have obtained an inheritance, and yet we don't have it yet. But it, it, it's sometimes in, they write in such a way that something's going to happen in the future that it's so certain that it can't fail. And so the Greeks would often speak of it as if it had already occurred. And here you have an aorist passive indicative which has a dual meaning. First of all, it means that we are his inheritance. We are the bride of Christ, but it also clearly states that we have obtained an inheritance. Even though we've yet to get it, it's so certain Paul wrote it as if it's already happened. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. Two perspectives here. First, let's look at the divine the perspective of it. In verse 11, it says, having being predestined according to the perp to his purpose, the purpose of him. We are what we are because God has chosen to make us that way through Jesus. From eternity past, he declared that every sinner, no matter how vile or rebellious or useless, trusted in Jesus, they would be made righteous. When we come to Christ, God has already predestined us. When we come to Christ, he's predestined us to go to heaven. Do you understand? It's all in Jesus. Jesus is the elect as far as I'm concerned. And we are, when we come through Christ, he has chosen that when we accept Christ, he's chosen to make us righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus. He imputes that righteousness to you and me. And it says he also works all things after the counsel of his will. Who works in verse 11? Who works all things? The word works is the word energeo, energy, energizer. We get our energy our, from God and he gives us the energy to work all things according to the counsel of his will. When he spoke each part of the world in existence, it began immediately to operate precisely. God says, when you've been saved, I'm going to work through you. I'm going to give you the power to do it. And the reason he does should be to the praise of his glory. In verse 12, that we who first trusted Christ, man's redeemed for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ. And when we get to heaven one day, we're going to be singing praise to the Lord for us being there and what he made us. He made us complete in him. He made us forgiven. Now, from the human perspective, we go back to verse 12. It says that we who first trusted in Christ 
Actually, there's a definite article in the Greek. It reads, first trusted in the Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You see, it emphasizes the uniqueness of our hope. It stresses the idea that the apostles and the first generation Jewish believers were the first to receive the Messiah. Jesus came to the Jews and they first received the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And then verse 13 says they or you, you trusted Christ. We trusted him later. They came first. We trusted him later as they began to share him with us. Faith is man's response to God's purpose. God's choice of men is to come to him in faith. We believed. We first trusted in Christ. Faith, that's what faith is, is trust. You're trusting Jesus to take you to heaven. If he's not the way, you're not going, are you? Neither am I. I read about a man in Plainville, Ohio. His name was Norval Robertson. They called him Robbie Robertson. He was digging and uncovered a can of $10,000 bills. Now, since Norville was retired and he was a house painter on a pension, that money was pretty important to him. However, there's a problem. There's no such thing as a $10,000 bill. And so Norville took one of his bills to the local bank to be examined, and they declared it to be merely a black and white photograph of a $10,000 bill. They pointed out that the government does not print money on cardboard or laminate their money between plastic. And Norville remained unconvinced, however. The bank sent the, quote, bill to the Secret Service who inspected bills for the Treasury Department. Secret Service wrote Norville a letter stating that the bill was counterfeit and gave him a receipt for the bogus bill. He was still unconvinced. I guess there really must be a 10,000. I don't know if there is. I've never seen one. In fact, He's, he, he had faith in those bills. He wanted that to be right. He wanted them to be legitimate. He, he was quoted as saying, I've got more of them too, and I ain't going to show you. No offense, but I don't trust anybody right now. Well, his faith in those bills resembles the faith of a lot of religious people today. They've built a religious framework convenient to their desires and they firmly they they firmly convince themselves that they're right and that that's how God operates but folks it's only through Jesus Christ it doesn't matter what you and I think it doesn't matter what we create and today you see a lot of this going on you see people that don't want to believe parts of the Bible, so they find a church that won't teach that part of it, and they find a place that will conform to their own liking. Look what he says in verse 13. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of Cromwell. 
So how do people come to Christ? They've got to hear the truth. Amen? Laura, my wife, came in helping in the Good News Bible Club this afternoon, and she said that two of those children this afternoon accepted Christ in the Good News Bible Club because they heard the truth about sin and how sin entered the world. It says that first you heard the truth, the gospel, and then you believed. And so when when people come and they hear the word of God, it pricks their heart. It, it, it just goes all the way down to the bone, doesn't it? <laughs> it just speaks to the hearts of people. Well, verse 13 talks about the promise of our inheritance. In him you also trusted After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. Have you ever had the experience of knowing something is yours and you don't have it yet? In a book entitled Dare to Believe, Dan Ballman illustrates this experience. He said that, long time ago when he was a kid before Christmas, he did what most kids do and they start snooping around trying to find what they're going to get for Christmas and wrapped presents or they would shake them and try to figure it out. One year he discovered a package with his name on it that was real easy to identify because you cannot disguise golf clubs. And Bauman said that he made this observation. He said, when mom wasn't around, I would go and I would feel that package. I would shake it and I would pretend that I was on the golf course. And the point is, he said, I was already enjoying the pleasures of a future event, namely the unveiling on Christmas Day. Had my name on it. I knew what it was, but only Christmas would reveal those golf clubs to me. Well, that's how we are as Christians Our inheritance really does defy our comprehension. We have no earthly idea of how great it is, our inheritance, our going to heaven. I tell people every time I do a funeral, you know, nobody gets excited about heaven because they got such an erroneous concept of it. And I know that God put us here on earth put life in us and we have life and we want to live it as long as we can. I don't blame you. I want to also, especially when you live in Texas, you want to be here forever. <laughs> feel sorry for people who don't live in Texas. Don't you? We need to pray for them, don't we? They just don't know what they're missing. But we have no concept of how good it's going to be when we get home. How can we be sure we're going to get those blessings? How how do you know? What's the guarantee? Well, first of all, let's notice the seal. He says it. You were sealed, in verse 13, with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit performs a present work and a future work. The Holy Spirit seals us. There were four uses for a seal in the days that Paul was writing to the Ephesians. First of all, it guaranteed the genuine character of a document. 
A notary public uses his seal today to guarantee the genuineness of a signature. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he gives us evidence that we're Christians. How? By the fruit. The fruit that's produced in your life. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These fruits are in your life, or at least they should be. It's proof. It's evidence of your spirit, the Holy Spirit living in you. It's the guarantee of your salvation. Another reason a seal was used was to mark ownership. We monogram clothes today. Shirts indicate ownership. We label our kids' clothes when they go to camp for good reason. We even write it on their undergarments. We want them to get home with it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He marks us. We belong to Jesus. He knows us. He knows who we are. He knows who belongs to him. I read of an article in the Journal of Hospital Practice, or read about the article, I didn't read the article, that calculates how much each of the enzymes and hormones and all the different things in your body are worth. And the author added them up based on your weight. And if you're an average-sized person, you are worth $6,015.44. You're literally the $6 million man or woman. And the article's author also estimated that if you calculate the cost of creating each cell in your body, it would be about $6 quadrillion dollars. In other words, you are priceless. And the Holy Spirit has marked you as belonging to Jesus. Another reason or way that the seal was used was to protect against tampering or harm. We put locks to keep people from tampering with the contents on boxes or lockers. The Holy Spirit protects us. He protects our salvation. No one can tamper with us. Nobody can take it. Nothing can take you out of the hand of the Lord. Howard Jenkins, he had a fun day being a multimillionaire. He even made a $4 million withdrawal during his lunch break. Why? Because it was there. A computer error put $88 million in his account. Now, let me tell you what happened. He, he had a, a, a brief stint as a rich man. It started when he lost his checkbook. And he called Nations Bank and put a hold on the account. And when he went to make a deposit that following Friday, he was told to check. He was told to check the automated teller machine outside to make sure the account was working. When he withdrew $10, the receipt said Jenkins' balance was $889,437. Well, incredulous, Jenkins went home and called the bank's telephone system and got even better news. A computerized voice told him his account topped $88 million. 
Jenkins returned to the bank and asked a teller for his balance. And when she wrote eight digits on a piece of paper and slid it to him, he said, I almost fainted. In fact, the teller said, did you get an inheritance or something? And Jenkins said, yeah, something. (laughs) And so he decided to ask for $4 million. He said, they handed me $4 million and didn't bat an eye. He picked up his girlfriend for lunch and showed her the money, $3,000 in cash and seven checks, one for $997,000 and the rest for $500,000 each. Her first reaction was, where are we going? And her second reaction was, you know you can't keep this. And Jenkins said, I, I know that. And later that day, he went back to the bank with his lawyer to make sure the bank didn't try to arrest him and handed them back every penny. He said, it was quite a day for me. I was a multimillionaire for about half a day. The president of the nation's bank chalked it up to a computer error. He said, I know something happened, although I don't know what exactly happened. This happened back in 1994. But folks, I want to tell you something. Nobody's going to tamper with our inheritance. Nobody's going to tamper with our salvation. Nobody can take you out of the hand of God. You're not a Christian for just half a day. When you commit your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. And another reason or another way that a seal was used was to indicate the transaction was completed. We put our signature on a document. It indicates the deal has been cut. The seal indicated completion. The Holy Spirit reminds us that our redemption is complete. You didn't get part of salvation. God gave it all to you. The Holy Spirit living in you is proof that you are saved. So you see the the seal, but now notice the guarantee. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The word guarantee or pledge means earnest money on something that's going to be purchased. It means the down payment or the first installment. The Holy Spirit living in us is the down payment, the guarantee, the first installment of the inheritance in our future. The Holy Spirit provides the assurance that we are going to heaven, that we will receive our inheritance. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's the guarantee of your salvation. And you can go to 1 John and you can read. There are indications to let you know that you've been saved. First of all, when you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot continue to live in sin and not know it or not be bothered by it. I mean, you may get away with it for a while, but it's still going to bother you. It's not near as much fun as it was before you got saved, whatever you go back to doing. Another way that you have the Holy, you know the Holy Spirit's living in you and your salvation is because you like to be with other believers. 
as sinful as they are and as flawed as they are and as ornery as they are? I mean, why do you keep coming back with this bunch of people? Because we've all been saved. We're all flawed. We're all forgiven. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And our spirits bear witness. I mean, you know, you can almost tell. In fact, I'll, I'll give you an instant. When we were on that South Dakota trip, um, Laura and I were walking. We, we had a little free time, and there were a few little shops in this little town. It was a real small town. And we walked into one of these shops that was selling uh, popcorn, all kinds of flavored popcorn. And the, the lady behind the counter, we walked in. She said, how are y'all doing? We said, we're doing great. How about you? And she said, are you with a church group? And I said, well, has some of our group already been in here? <laughs> and she said, no, I just recognize Jesus smiles. She's a believer. She could tell. And I thought, well, how cool is that? I mean, she already knew we were believers before we ever really said anything. That's why the Holy Spirit, you like to be with God's people. That's a sign that you are a child of God. Another is that you have a hunger for the word of God. You want to know the truth. All of these are in 1 John. He says you're going to love the word of God. You're not going to continue to live a life characterized by sin. Now, I didn't say you, didn't, you won't sin, but your life's not going to be, when people look at you and you're going to go, man, I can't even tell if they're Christians. No, you're going to be able to tell. So if you make a mistake and you sin this week, it doesn't mean you lost your salvation. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But if you can live in sin and it not bother you, there's something wrong because the Holy Spirit's grieved. We'll get to that in first chapter 4 in Ephesians in about three years. <laughs> we're going to go faster, I promise you. Seems like we're going to be there forever. But the fact is you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So he's the guarantee. And then notice the purpose of our inheritance, to the praise of his glory. We're not saved and blessed for our own glory. And when we glorify ourselves, we rob God of that which is completely his. He saved us to serve him and to praise him. And the reason we praise him is because we could not save ourselves. He's the only one that could rescue us. God created us in his image to glorify him. His salvation to us forgives us of our sins. We're made anew in him to bring him glory. Paul said, I want my life to bring glory to God. Have you ever thought about we're, we're almost like trophies and not in a bad sense. The Lord says, these are, look what I've done in these, the lives of these people. They, they would have never, never made it on their own. They would have never been saved. They would have been doomed. No t have you ever thought about where you would be today if you did not know Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever thought of where you would be and where your family would be? I, it's a scary thought, but, but I'm not there. God's still working on me, and I want to give him the glory when people say, well, how did you get the way you are? Because God is still working on me. And so we have an inheritance. If you think about 
verse 3 all the way down to verse 14. You see the three aspects. Jesus Christ saved us. God the Father instituted salvation. Jesus Christ saved us. Holy Spirit seals us. You see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that whole section there. And that's who we are in Christ. God thought about us before we were ever born. You're no afterthought. Jesus Christ came to save you, gave his life willing. The Holy Spirit lives in you and guiding us, giving us power to live daily for him. So, one of these days, we're going to get our inheritance. We're going to go home. And what a day that's going to be. Pray for the choir tonight as they are recording. And um, I hope you'll pray for the services Sunday. Some interesting, um, I hope you're learning about the model prayer. I'm learning a lot too. I, I know it's going to disappoint you to, to know that I don't know everything. I'm learning a lot as I study through the model prayer. And, and even when we talk about give us this day our daily bread, we're, we're going to talk about that this Sunday. And what does that mean? Does God care about what happens to you every day? Yeah, he does. So we'll talk about that. Let me lead us in prayer, and then um, we'll go. God, thank you for a great group here tonight. Thank you for the fellowship we share as believers. It's amazing, Lord, how you have forgiven us. We didn't deserve it, but you loved us anyway. Thank you for creating salvation. Thank you for Jesus who came to die for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us. We ask that you lead and guide us. We pray for those that don't know Jesus, that they would come to give their life and trust him. Believe in him. We pray that the truth will be taught even on Sunday, that people might respond to you in the gospel. So I thank you for every man and woman in this room. ask you to use them, encourage them, let them realize how much you love them. Do you know their name? They are marked. They have the Holy Spirit in them. You have sealed them, sealed us. We are owned by you. We are complete in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, folks. Y'all have a great evening. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.